Hey guys, I'm John Mosho, and you're listening to Knickknack Goes to the Movies, the one-stop shop podcast for all things movie, TV, and pop culture. Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Come one and come all to Knickknack Goes to the Movies, your one-stop shop podcast for all things movie, television, and pop culture. I am Nick, and for any of you new listeners, this podcast normally comes in one of three flavors. Superhero things, scary movies, or your miscellaneous oddball bag of things. Today's taste of choice is the seeming default of the show, and it's going to be horror. I had a few ideas about what to do this week, but after the official runtime was announced that Justice League The Snyder Cut was going to be coming in at 4 hours and 2 minutes, I was looking for something a bit longer, also on HBO Max. To my pleasant surprise, I found not one, not two, but all three It movies there waiting for me, luring me in with the promises of scares, gore, and oodles of fun. The original miniseries with Tim Curry clocks in at only 3 hours and 12 minutes, but I figured that was a good warm-up for March 18th. And might as well follow that up with the two recent ones, with the titular clown being played by Bill Stashgod. Believe it or not, this was another movie recommendation given to me by a previous guest and fan of the show, Genevieve Severin. I think when the 2017 one came out, I was still in the super scared of things in the supernatural genre of that ilk. Walking Dead and Scream were pretty much it for me. But in 2019, and with Bill Hader and James McAvoy, two actors I love, I knew it was only a matter of time before I dove in. I have seen these all a few times over now, but never in quick succession. So now the moment of truth. Which adaptation is sitting center of the ring at the big top, and which Pennywise reigns as ringleader supreme? So grab some popcorn, get out of that rain, and whatever you do, Maybe don't grab that red balloon that happens to be right behind you right now. You don't want to float too, do you, Georgie? (laughs) End scene. I know, who would have ever thought of a jump scare on a podcast? But here we are, the marvels of 2021. I'm pretty proud of that Pennywise uh, attempt, we'll call it. I don't want to call it anything more than that. It was an attempt, but I felt it was a pretty good attempt. (laughs) First on deck... We go to a few years before I was born in the 1990 miniseries of It. I was ecstatic to find this, which last time I had to rent it on Prime. So before we get too deep in the sewer, yes, I did talk about this early into the podcast. The One Hit Wonder episode, just the seventh podcast episode I believe I put out. I didn't know a ton of the actors here. Obviously, Tim Curry from the most amazing campy adaptation of Clue. Apparently a Netflix animated version is coming out. He was also the voice of both Nigel Thornberry and Chancellor Palpatine. What a duo. You can also find a young Seth Green who has gone on to the amazing 2003 Italian job film and has a regular role on one of my favorite adult animated shows in Family Guy. Past that, I can't say I really knew anyone else, but Annette O'Toole who plays adult Beverly here, has had quite a stint in the Superman-verse, appearing in the third of the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, as well as a main role on Smallville as Martha! And there will be some comparisons, for sure, especially with me having first been introduced to the franchise with the two modern films. So yes, special effects and what things could be shown on TV, it's all a little bit different first airing on ABC in mid-November, something I'm sure was discussed around the good old family Thanksgiving table at the time. The slasher genre did exist for a while, with Psycho coming out 30 years prior and a smackering of Hitchcock, Halloween, and Friday the 13th films thrown in. But this was TV, something that didn't inherently have an enforced age limit, and way before some of the gore that we have come to expect in our television shows like Game of Thrones, Dexter, and The Walking Dead. In short, temper expectations for how brutal moments of this may exist in 1990 cinematography. That, of course, does not mean there aren't scares. For sure there is. 
thank goodness, right? So here the story is a bit of a blend of the younger stories and the older stories as opposed to a fairly clear separation. And that's going to be a big question that we're going to answer is if that choice was better, very akin to what it was in the books, or trying to be a little more chronological as we see in the later adaptation. Tim Curry has some amazing voices as the titular Pennywise the Clown. And even though he does not look super scary by default, that turn it takes are pretty fun when it becomes truly evil. It is a bit strange to kick things off with not Georgie being gotten. I can't speak to the book order of events. I know a little bit, but I have not read them. But I want to see that little paper boat and the drain and some arms getting ripped off. Like, that's how it starts with me. That's, that's it. That's what I assume is the first part. But it's not here. But it's also mad ballsy in this version of it, going right up to someone's house to get a kid. It feels like Jason that one time he went right up to Alice's home, stuck his dead mom's head in her fridge, and like the saying goes, revenge is a dish best served cold. And business was booming that night for Jason Voorhees. I tried to be clever with words. We'll see how it turned out in the final cut. Not that it has ever been lost in the story of it, but the librarian of the Losers Club, Mike, is crucial to the downfall of the terrifying clown. And in this version, they make that clear with the blending of the stories. With the part one broken up, Mike is introduced so late that you only get to know him a bit. He gets sidelined by Bill, Richie, Beverly, and Ben. But he's the Nick Fury here reassembling his squad of Avengers to come back to Derry to take on the great evil, especially as he's the only one who remembers anything still residing in that cursed town in Maine, where pretty much every other Stephen King book takes place. I feel like there's less Georgie overall here. While the remake takes place, the focus on that relationship is clearly with Georgie and Bill, and if you're waiting for some crazy visuals for Georgie's big moment, you may be a little disappointed that the kills are not really shown. You do have a more likable and less immediately menacing performance from it, which makes you think a kid could be enticed by, well, it. And the teeth change from normal Pennywise to attack mode Pennywise does look pretty stunning here. The interesting choice of blending the two stories together in this case means we are meeting the adult characters first and learning a little bit about them and all their personal hell moments growing up before getting us back to the modern day. Just to put it out there, this movie has the past in the 60s and the adult time as the 90s, so the bullies, they're greasers here. And not the Danny Zuko, Kanicki kind, singing songs and snapping, dumping off cars, grease lightning go! More so they're the switchblade kind of schoolyard bullies. The modern version of It actually has a childhood take place in the late 80s. Thankfully, there is no multiverse of madness crossover here, right? I know as you are listening to this, you have either just finished WandaVision or will right after. Don't worry. Next week, I can hold you over on Marvel things before we all pick it right back up with Falcon the Winter Soldier. And somewhere in there, also, we're going to watch the DC Snyder Cut. We've been waiting for and on for ages. So a lot of superhero content is coming in the future if you're not as into the scary movie podcast episodes that I do as much. Sadly, there are no superheroes here in our world of Derry. But we lack in some character that can just save the day. There is instead the power of friendship. I know, even saying it, I laugh. It sounds corny, cheesy, and all of those disparaging things. But unlike some Hallmark movies or something, where it always feels like, oh, you know, I uh, need to find a date for the prom or whatever, where it's a prom that will get fixed by the end of your 30-minute episode. These misfit kids somehow overcome, like, crazy scary odds and find a way out of it. Well, most of them do anyway. And maybe that is why it, and to more of a modern degree compared to the 90s one, Stranger Things, it feels so charming. There are a ton of similarities to both, something we will dive into further as we go along here. But I watch these and find them kind of heartwarming and inspiring. This group of kids, those who have already, you know, 
lost so much power or never had it to begin with. They named their squad themselves the Losers Club. They're all ridiculed or mocked by either their schoolmates, looked down upon by all the adults they come across. At least the Stranger Things kids have a few older kids to help them along the way, as well as one to two adults. How about that? I think part of the reason I like this so much, this version and just these movies in general, is how you see this group become friends. There's that little moment with Bill and Eddie when they first meet Ben, and he gives them some advice and kind of says, you guys can do this, but Bill immediately changes it from you to we. Like, damn, you got to smile at that. But you know, this isn't a whole hour and a half happy-go-lucky movie. And as heartwarming as it can be, the scares and trauma are aplenty. While all of them are bad, especially what Bill has to go through, I will always think about the tragic upbringing and when we first meet Beverly in the real world, going from an abusive parent and somehow finding herself in an abusive relationship, going back to Derry for her is actually one of the best things to happen to her for her eventual growth into the person and woman she was always meant to be, especially with taking such an important role in taking out it. You know, it may be the fact that young Seth Green is just fun, or the role of Richie is just fun. Bill Hader did great work as the adult version in 2019 as well. But even though he is clearly a later add in this version, blending the two timelines into one movie, he steals the show, at least from an entertainment point. But if anyone gets sidelined in the film, it has to be Stanley, the one member of the Losers Club who doesn't make it back to Derry as an adult. At least in the split-up movies, you really get to know him for a whole movie first, where here... He's barely utilized being a fringe member of the original flashbacks. At least Mike takes on the narrator role being the last kid introduced in the flashbacks, but he's the first character we meet as a whole. Throughout this episode, I'll be doing a ton of comparisons and how certain scenes were done and the first complete bonding moment where the Losers Club was born. That rock fight was like a bit too goofy in the newer version. Here it feels kind of heartwarming how the setup goes. Ben defending Beverly's honor. It's such a happy moment of kids coming together from different walks of life. We've already met the Stranger Things kids when they have a friend group. And yes, they have to replace one of their kind who leaves. And Eleven joins up. And eventually, thankfully, all five. And the group starts to grow from there. But you know them all for the most part together. Where here they have to come together. And you see them come together. I also really like Young Bill played by the late Jonathan Brandis. He did such a good job taking the leading this young group of actors. And was super likable and amazing in the role. Now one thing that has to be mentioned. It should be obvious. But the crazy special effects needed for the big Pennywise moments. They're not great. The makeup moments are solid. But when trying to do the battery acid for the clown and killing it the first time, it's just sort of whatever. Even the final spider, and it's much more of a big spider here than the secondary movie, it's a terrible, rubbery animation. And look, I hate spiders. You guys are very aware of that, especially the ones that are as big as houses. But here it's not my favorite, for sure but doesn't hold a candle to Shelob or Aragog. One thing that is great here is it may look a bit fakey at times throughout the movie, but what this movie does do is the blood effects, normally coming from objects and not people, they're done well enough for sure, all things considered, for being a spooky tale about a scarier version of the Harry Potter Bogart stalking and killing kids, there's not a whole ton of gore in this version. I may not super remember Pennywise initially tormenting the adult versions of these kids, minus when we saw Bill Hader and James McAvoy. But the early moments of the fun grave tease with adult Bill and the tease fate of Stanley, as well as the Richie scene in the library once he enters town, I like those a ton, and those are not, either of those moments are not in at all the later versions and they don't really even tease it being around until they are at the uh chinese restaurant 
if nothing else, the more I watch any of these movies, any version, it really makes me want to revisit Stranger Things. And I wonder if you guys get the same feel and vibe and calling to dive back into something a little more dated that's still a coming-of-age thing. One thing I will never understand is when they're all getting their initial first town scare here in the 1990s. And they do have this scene in a different way for Beverly in the 2017, actually the 2019 version, is when there's this old lady she visits who she thinks is her house. It's not her house. It tricked her with the name labeling on the door. And she becomes like this gross disintegrating old lady however they do it she's way worse in the 2019 version but either way don't like this scene we'll never like this scene not a fan of it also adult bully henry we've seen greaser henry and that's fine i enjoy it to what it is it's a little goofy but i enjoy it adult bully henry it's something silly to behold with his ghost white hair i don't know what it is he looks like a goofy old man And this version of Henry Bowers is the reason or the cause for Mike, who is such an important part in this adaptation, to not be in the sewer in the end final confrontation. He's the main guy in the miniseries. There's no doubt about it. But somehow he does not take part in the endgame. The fact that that's what happens is insane. Speaking of the endgame, the final form of it, like I said before, looks bad. And seeing how it kills Eddie... It doesn't look like it should have killed him, but I guess chalked it up to the bad special effects available at the time. I do like Eddie's stand, though. I think it's a phenomenal moment of him when so many people are taken out of account. The stronger people. But when we speak of how the fight looks, there is some brutally bad-looking scenes of using a slingshot to cause some weird like explosion in one of the stomach scales of its, like, spider form i also don't love how almost immediately and like it does give a little boost to eddie who's like the one of the weaker members but almost immediately three of the five losers club members don't do a whole ton in the fight besides being blinded by the light shout out the weekend the real thing being upon us and the final episode of wandavision here as well (laughs) can't stop talking about wandavision next week is going to be a blast But the end of this movie, after Eddie dies and the gang chases after it, who seems to be injured, but not nearly as injured as maybe would be obvious if it was a somewhat decent looking thing and not this rubbery crab spider thing. Like the end, they're just ripping body parts off it. They end up ripping its heart out. Like it's some wild stuff. That's actually weirdly probably the goriest scene in the whole movie. Reasons notwithstanding. I know Bill's wife was not able to follow them to Derry in the sequel for logistic reasons. And I don't want to talk about too much when I get into the later films, but I'll talk about it here because his wife is for sure a part of the story. You see her, you have more appeal for her because she doesn't seem as terrible inherently. She seems pretty good, Um, like part of their relationship in marriage is healthy and important and good in this version and she comes down to see him because she gets a feeling to come and she does get taken and i guess they kind of replace georgie more in the forefront of bill's trauma as opposed to trying to save his wife as well i don't know if they could have done both of them i've been too busy but i don't know i'll just say that i like that his wife had a part in this storyline and it feels like there's a way that it finds of bringing the trauma home and also how it affects not only those who experienced it but those around them and once the monster is finally defeated and you know she's still blinded by the light i'm trying to say that not as a joke but i can't it's 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 too sing-songy jokey it's not i it's not my fault it's lyrics but in that moment where they're trying to save her and bill sees his hi-ho silver bike and you know, there's this teased moment of outrunning the devil, which you never really see in the sequels, but you saw it here with him and Stanley, and he brings it back to trying to ride fast and spike to bring her back, and, you know, it helps her leave the deadlights and stop the floating. Like, it's such a powerful moment in the end. And in short, this movie 
It can be a spooky ride, and it's a marathon, not a sprint, with a long runtime, but it is a really good exploration of childhood drama, fear as a whole, and like we start off with saying, a non-cheesy way of showing the true power of friendship, especially finding it in the most unlikely of places. I think that's a, a Dumbledore line in one of those Harry Potter movies. But it, the 1990s miniseries, not Pennywise, referring to the franchise when the terror is named it is tricky, isn't it? <laughs> but seriously, it is super heartwarming, and the special effects and gore not being on full blast actually helps a bit making this version less overtly scary and a bit more akin to the nostalgia with a bit of a thrill that you get from Stranger Things. Something that the first part of the 2017 version almost immediately shows you is it's no longer messing around. It gives an arm and a leg to make that point. I'm extremely proud of that in-franchise reference and joke. I hope you liked it too. So after three hours plus from the miniseries, it is onto the modern-day reimagining of Pennywise the Clown from 2017. Bill Stashgod was one of those names I knew, but probably couldn't tell you where I have seen him in things before. He takes over the role of Pennywise and does a sensational job in the modern and creepier version of the character. And remember, special effects and makeup and all that has evolved over time, and it sees a big uptick in the scares. But seeing the character the first time, there is like no doubt this is a scary clown, unlike the Tim Curry version. Everything is just scarier here. Like I said, the first Pennywise was approachable and could be okay. This version, no doubt I am running the other way if I see this one in a sewer or at a Halloween party. The amount of sexy Pennywise costumes that came out after this, too much for me, lol. But who knows, maybe it would be less weird now that I love all things scares. Pandemic Nick has been much more curious about really testing the waters and myself with scary movies. I can't imagine I will try the Shelob Return of the King scene again, but you never know. I do love those extended cuts. To the film at hand, 2017 It. There's no doubt here that Bill is the main character of Focus, and even Barely With Us George is used way more in comparison to the brief shots in the miniseries. They can start at the beginning of the story, with it being mostly chronologically told, and there's a nice relationship shown with both brothers that I feel like was kind of missing in the miniseries. But the big difference, something you will notice with all of these movies, of course, is the gore. Super present here, and that Georgie scene is something to behold. Before we saw a brief moment of a flash of their encounter with the scary, scary sewer clown, here we get everything in vivid detail. The teeth are much, much worse. We see the biting of the arm. We see young Georgie trying to crawl away with his bloody remains of his arm going into the rain. Like, that is some wild stuff that's on full display here. You either love it, or you're going to wish that there just wasn't this amount of gore. I do like that we don't have to casually meet people and expand the friend group as much as we go. Pretty much we see Eddie, Stanley, Bill, and Richie as friends. And, as much as Seth Green crushed it as Richie, seeing about them all being on the shorter side just makes a bit more sense to me. I felt like Richie being about as tall as Henry Bowers just was a little strange when they'd bully, like when he'd bully him when he was about the same height. And a brief actor reference. I can't say I know most of these actors here, but having one of the Stranger Things kids, Mike Wheeler, played Richie here, Finn Wolfhard, feels right at home. And you may recognize young Eddie, played by Jack Dylan Grazer, who did a sensational job in Shazam, a movie I think more people need to watch and appreciate when talking about the DCEU as Freddie Freeman. He is slated to be back in the sequel, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, in 2023. Can't wait. By 2023, I gotta believe we'll be in movie theaters again. Gosh, I can't wait. Give me some cookie dough bites. Get me that Coke. I see. What? what? It is a bit weird having our bullies live in the 90s instead of that fun they had as the greasers. The mullet look for Henry is pretty dumb. Nothing crazy. 
just a preference. It's fine. It's just just a preference. Speaking of an angle that I think is a interesting one that works pretty well though, is having everyone be unaware of if Georgie or any of the kids that are missing are actually dead. We know Georgie's dead, but it adds this hopeful angle to Bill. It helps with the eventual questioning of if the Georgie he sees, part of his personal hell played out by it, is real or not real, since he doesn't actually know or think his brother is dead. Overall, the it scares are much better now here. Things are more visceral and genuinely scary. Burning people, hands coming out, the haunted Stanley painting coming out of the picture and following him. It's like so good. The jump scares are here aplenty, but like most aren't fake outs. They're actual jump scares. This movie just has them in spades. Not for the faint of heart, that is for sure. While the parents are not and will never be a focus of anything with Stephen King, they're not going to be the focus. There's no doubt about it. It's nice to see them just a bit existing throughout in some capacity. There's never any question of where are these kids' parents. We at least see them all existing and know a bit why they're so absent. Not every kid's parent we meet, but we meet them for the most part. They just do more here. And when I watched the 1990s version, especially after watching this, I was like, wow, they went like the version light here. Because they went hardcore with some of the gorier moments. They full sent it. The fact that they actually carve out at least one of uh, Henry Bowers' initials onto Ben's stomach. It's wild to see played out and on full display. They made Beverly's first horror a full-on carry level of blood. And of course, Bill's first moment with its version of Georgie in the basement and the the whole the running with the crazy head shaking and the vision blur. It's a terrifying sprint. Not as a scary thing, but just as one of those weird moments you watch and like, that's interesting. Why is that the case? It's just strange that one of the bullies, the one who ends up dying here, because I think in the first one, two of the bullies die, Belch and whoever the other one is, and in this one, just this one guy dies. His weapon of choice is hairspray and a lighter. Wild, wild action of choice. And as much as I really did like the overall ensemble performance of the kids in the first movie, the ensemble group of kids really, really feels like that Stranger Things vibe. And I'm all for it. It just works really well here. I don't know. They feel very realized in today's world. I feel like I forgot how heartwarming everything was with the ever-evolving friend group and how they just work together. If you can get past the scares, there's a truly amazing story about friendship and trauma. The bones are still there from the original bits of the story. This is a really good source material. I feel like the book reading should be in my future at some point. Once I get past all these Star Wars and Walking Dead novels, the biggest hit here, as far as usage, has to be Young Mike. And look, seven main characters is tough to balance. Eight if you count Pennywise. If you really want to go nine, you can put Henry Bowers in. It's a lot of time and characters to balance around. But here, he's the second character we meet in this story, outside of Bill and Georgie. But it takes ages for his storyline to intersect with the other members of the Losers Club. They even give the historical hunting interest to Ben instead, which is weird because Mike grows up to be librarian. He should have the interest instead. The first real moment we have with him being introduced is the infamous rock fight. It's nice to see more with Stanley, knowing he will not make it a huge appearance in the second film, but Mike gets a huge miss in usage. They just didn't give him a whole lot to do early on. And as we brought up the rock fight, if there's one part of this movie I think is absolutely awful, there's this one scene I absolutely despise. It has to be. It kicks off with Richie yelling, Rock War! There's like hardcore rock music. It just loses all sense of emotional stakes and bonding from the original version portrayed in film. Like this might be, I would say it's probably the best scene of the 1990 version. And for me, it's hands down, not of the part one, part two, but in this part one of the It movie in 2017, 
this might be the worst scene in that whole movie. But to speak to, I think, something that was a little better done, there's one amazing scare scene here. The slideshow machine, instead of the picture book, sensational. It starts to go by itself. First, it's slowly zooming in more and more and more on Georgie, and they're trying to stop it. And then it starts to slowly zoom in on Bill's mom. And you see it kind of slowly shift. The hair's windblown, and it slowly, slowly shifts to be Pennywise the Clown. And you see the full row of teeth and the true horror of it. Again, goosebumps just thinking about it. That scene is way scary in contrast to the more whimsical backflips and the hand comes out of the book. And as Mike's book in that instance, the slideshow scene is unparalleled in some of the scares it doles out for us. They have a few good confrontations not seen in the original miniseries. And seeing it terrorize the kids, Beverly once again fights back. And just some strong action and scare sequences. Like, they have this pre-well interaction with it that is scary. It tricks them. It makes them doubt some things. And then we'll talk about the weird time jump. But that first moment in the house with it, so good. Plus, the scary, not scary, most scary door choice thing. I, I love that. Especially as it's brought back in part two. This is, again bringing scary pop culture back to Gridiron Heights. You thought we were done talking about it. We're never done talking about Gridiron Heights. With the 2004 draft class being the Losers Club with Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Larry Fitzgerald, and Ben Roethlisberger to a degree. The references in that are amazing in their own right, but after seeing the two remake versions of it, that cartoon is sensational. Even better. Another ad for the Bleacher Report comedy animation show, Gridiron Heights, definitely go watch it. It's still amazing, and one of the things that if I'm feeling a little down in the dumps, a few episodes of Gridiron Heights brings you right back up. Also, something I know we'll come back to later. There was this teased, uh, highly controversial deleted scene of it in the olden times, and I just know that there's this one picture in the library of a woman walking a baby to a well. And that had to do something with it. Like more Pennywise lore would have been super cool. And like I don't need full explanations all the time. But seeing that little moment. Knowing that scene exists. You're like man I would have liked to see that. Just brief historical bit really up in there. Speaking of depth and development. Seeing a bit more of Henry Bowers and his situation. How it leads to him becoming truly evil. With the influence of it leading him to kill his dad while turning fully evil. While most of the adults are bad here, I'm not saying Henry Bauer's dad was. He was doing what he could. Beverly's dad, way worse here as opposed to the 1990 film. He was possessive of her back then. In this version, he is crazy creepy and just unsettling. And while this scene leads to Beverly being taken, which I don't love, her being sidelined as hostage girl, like especially with her being integral to killing it both times in the 1990 version. Thankfully, they've given Mike some some TLC and love, and they've built him up a little bit here to have his state gun thing from his family's butcher, and they kind of work their way up to him having to be able to use it and be a man. And he actually has a pretty good fight with Henry Bowers, which is like the for the video gamers out there, the mini boss to the big bad. And seeing him take out Henry Bauer, seemingly, obviously he comes back, but phenomenal moment to have, for sure. The end has a fair amount going on, which I love. Henry Bauer is more menacing and clearly under the control of it when on his killing spree. The atmosphere is way more menacing. There's much more of a clear-cut issues in the town seeing everyone taken flowing it's not so small scale and when we do see this end dungeon it's reminiscent of like the chamber of secrets and everyone going in to save Ginny, a bit harry potter and all that the end here is so so much better than the 1990 version when the first time they deal with it everyone has an active role in taking down it even though beverly is taken for granted at first in the end she along with the other losers club members fight their individual fears and this movie has a really emotional endgame. 
I forgot how much I like, like really like this movie and the life lessons it instills, free therapy, and much more than most horror movies I watch and review in this bloomin' horror podcast. Also, it may be a super small sticking point, the It miniseries has a really emotional end, then blasts you with laughter of Tim Curry's It and Circus music. Part 1 at least ends with some ominous and hopeful orchestral music. It just sticks you in the same emotional place you want to be in when your movie ends, and the miniseries is at a left field and just bad way to end it. So the most recent of these three entries, Chapter 2, came out just in 2019, one year before the world went to crap. This was the reason I wanted to watch these movies. James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, and Bill Hader. The big names definitely had me into this. If you like the first one of these movies, you owe it to yourself to see both, obviously. The story of it is so good because it has that traumatic childhood exploration and later on shows how it impacted all those people years later in all different walks of life. It is a bit weird seeing us in this modern day world with it involved in this modern day town. And nothing is worse than the aggressively brutal assault on the couple of Adrian and Don. It's brutal, painful, and starts the movie off with such a sour note. And this is from the book. But the shock value is so brutal and it really makes you question wanting to continue. Especially since it has nothing to do with Pennywise directly. It is about the people of Derry and all that, but this scene is brutal and uncomfortable. That being said, it does have a point in all this with its choice to add something very specific to Richie's character development. And once again, the whole thought is that it isn't just itself, it makes a town evil and terrible and not care about these atrocities happening. But that scene is painful to get through. I do like Mike having his role back, being the lead and connector to sending everyone back to take on it for round two. Would be nice with him having the historical part in the beginning to build to that arc, but what it is. Like everything comparing these three movies, some things are better, some things are worse. As much as I miss Tim Curry's It talking from the moon... They have done so much better with him overall in his role. Even this modern version, like having Henry Bowers' breakout scene, there's so much more depth has been placed on him as opposed to being a greased lightning reject at best, at worst, whatever they did in the second part of this. Our dinner scene, unlike just a lot of fun music playing and them having a ball and not hearing anything, you get some actual information and backstory and the characters interact with words. Love it. And Bill Hader shines in this movie, in that scene. Sadly, the fun tease of Bill going to town, haunted by it, is not present. They actually tried to make everyone come back without being a bit scared by it until the fortune cookies from hell showed up. These leads are awesome. They weren't bad before, but there is so much more fun involved in this moment. I have to say, well, Adrian's death scene, not my favorite at all. The manipulation angle, we don't really see a whole lot of it. You, you see him maybe talking naive children, but you see his full manipulation on display when Pennywise is taking this clever angle and seeing the young girl we met briefly in the beginning of part two, Victoria, who has a, a birthmark on her cheek and She's looking for anyone to connect with and having this scary-ass clown play into being misunderstood to get her closer. It's such a, a good and horrifying new angle to to really see it and it do to someone and not just, hey, I'm a clown, come hang out. It's like super smart and manipulative there. I know I've referenced the books a few times and I've done some research, but having never read it fully through. I can't speak to everything, but instead of just tearing into and ripping its heart out, the game plan instead in part two is trapping it into a mythical, in essence, genie lamp bottle and use a ritual. Can't say if I loved it fully by itself. I know there was more mystical things I didn't get into in this, and maybe those are in deleted scenes somewhere. I know for one thing, 
I didn't love the final it fight in the 91, for sure. The first of these flashback scenes, which at times are sprinkled in, the clubhouse, which we never saw before, which is, I think, part of where some of the disfranchisement of the fans come with these scenes that are lovely, but why weren't they in the first one or in this combined movie? There's some real fun development that we were able to give the younger cast more time to shine. And while older Stan doesn't get time to shine, obviously, they give younger Stanley some really profound coming-of-age moments. That young cast was really talented. Really the only thing that is truly terrible, that is their just rock war seed. That was done so much better in the miniseries. Why did that go so wrong on that very strong movie? Here's where the movie starts to fall apart a bit after that really nice clubhouse scene, which is the first going back in time moment. All the rest of these, these little vignettes, they just don't flow as well here. Each character hunts for something of their past. And like the first movie, the older woman to Pennywise transformation, still brutal, exhausting, and not for me at all. I just noticed this. But in the second one of these, it's Richie's version, or at least the second one I I really gripped with. There's uh, a really subtle, strong hint when old Richie is back at the arcade and there's a movie poster behind him. And it's torn up a little bit. But if you look or pause it, I didn't even have to pause it. There's just outlines of the letter I and T in the back. Ooh, spooky. I like his storyline the most. I know there are mixed reviews about the story choice to make Richie gay. And it never was teased in the first movie. It was not a part of the books. It was not a part of the miniseries. And they never have him openly saying it. I, I like it. That's, I don't know. I, I like the angle they took. And it does provide a little more something to what happens in the beginning of this movie. As much as I don't like that scene, I don't know. There are bits that are good and bad about it, but I, I like the idea they went with. I just wish they had teased and built it up a bit more in the first movie as opposed to dropping it on you on the second one, kind of unannounced and as a real out-of-left-field moment. Even having Bill be haunted by a pseudo-Georgie, this kid could be a real kid or could be just like Fietro and WandaVision. I know. I really, really need to know what happens next in WandaVision. But to it, seeing Bill try to save another kid and fail at the carnival, which is one of the better scares for sure, it really makes you wonder if the whole thing was fake or real. I wish I could tell you my thought. I like to think the kid was real, but I have way more doubts than ever before. But overall, the Funhouse fatality right in front of Bill was so good. I really do like some of those flashback moments. And they are important for developing and building stuff. I mean, it is a fetch quest, which no video gamer likes. But the moments themselves, they're great. The issue is really just having them broken up and told in a way that, while I get why they want it that way, and they tell the story this way, I get it. I just get a bit annoyed at how much it jumps all around. And Eddie's flashback with his mom really asks you what is real and fake again. It looks like his mom dies for real, but we just don't know if this is actually real or not. And it could just be it messing around with them. But we never know some of these things. We never know if certain things are real or fake. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. Eventually, is a part you want to know. You just want to know in the inception. Is the top spinning is he in the real world is he in the dream world i want to just know the ambiguousness is annoying to me there's so many reviews and oh the top wobbled so if the top wobbled it must be in the real world but you never really do know (laughs) anyway the other big issue here is that with better special effects some stuff is really good and gory and spooky but there are far too many scenes that are grosser than you'll want to deal with. I like scares. I like dark humor. I can even vibe with gore and excess. Some of those Game of Thrones kills, the eye-crushing one, I don't love that story-wise, because we all like Pedro Pascal, but I'm fine with it. It was good good gore, I guess. But some of the moments here are just like grosser than I needed. While the root story is amazing... It is actually a bit funnier than I remember, 
partly because of Bill Hader. But our first scene of Henry Bowers trying to deal with one of the Losers Club members, it's a riot. They're laughing through the whole way. He stabs the guy in the cheek and then he hides in the shower and stabs him through the shower curtain. It's just such a weird, funny moment. If one thing was done really well here, it was how much better they made Henry Bowers, both in the first and second movies. His attack on Mike this time thankfully exists, but Mike is at least able to be a part of the final battle with it and not just stuck in the hospital bed waiting for it to all be over. And seeing Richie kill him, make some dumb joke about that was overdue, plays into his jokester thing sensational truly while some of the jokes are great here there's one amazing serious moment that i want to talk about truly sensational has to be the bat mitzvah speech flashback from young stan they thankfully gave him so much more to do here and seeing his footprint on this group and how important a role he played and he has this whole speech about just growing up and what it's like in friends it's so good and it it provides you with just this warmness even though he's not there with the rest of them this moment is so important in the coming of age story that's at the heart of this scary movie like sam's speech to frodo in the two towers the movie star's speech to princess carolyn and bojack horseman or the fantastic speech uh from om kapoor in om shanti om about happy endings in movies. This is one that will always stick with you and me, for sure. Sometimes screenwriters and authors come up with just something that just sticks with you and makes you smile, cry, or just feel some kind of way. I don't like to admit it, especially this year, but probably through my whole life, I've always been an emotional guy. I, for the most part, see that as a bad thing, but while I can't always see it, Feelings and emotions, I'm told, are good. For the longest time, only one movie could ever get me to cry. I challenge anyone to not watch Coco at the end and shed a tear. I know, this is a tangent, but this is why I love movies and TV shows, and to a degree the horror genres. These movies are a portal for artists to convey messages and challenge the audience to think or feel, or both. I love these things. Heck, that's why I got around to making a podcast to talk a bit about it. And the horror and slasher genres may turn a ton of people off. But if you can get past the scares or lean into them, the catharsis you can feel after, the relationships you can have, seeing the parallels of what you're going through, dealing with grief, trauma, this genre does that better than anything else. There's a dark and deep beauty to it that I wish everyone could experience. I could go on and on for days, but if I did, we would never get to the end and final confrontation. While I love James McAvoy, thank you, the Fox X-Men movies. Who knows, maybe he'll be back in this final episode of WandaVision. Probably not, but you never really know. Which reportedly, speaking of Marvel things, there's this leak going around of some project titled Mutants on the Way. Very exciting. But they have made Bill even more flawed here. He's so grief-struck by the loss of his brother, he becomes even more rash and quick to act, and not as likely to think before it. It's interesting that adult Bill is way less of a leader than he was as a child. He has it in him, but he has to... It takes a little bit to bring that out of him. Look, we grow up, we change. And he was easily, at least in the first version of this, the 1990s, the most prone to grief, losing his brother so early. Mike in this version has that too but somehow his is less explored and more used as a recurring scare gag than a true motivation or full development we see out of him so the final battle all the scared leading up to it are grand but in the vein of things we do not need stanley's talking head was one of the things in the miniseries he his head talked in a fridge that was it but having it sprout spider legs it's kid stanley by the way While not house big, the spider thing, it's not something I like at all. This is actually one of my big fears that held me back from not wanting to watch it at all. I do a lot of searching and says, like, is there big spiders in this, right? And somehow they always are. They're in The Mandalorian. They're in Merlin. They're in Harry Potter. They're in The Lord of the Rings. 
somehow this is always a part of things. I don't know. I will never get it. They're in the King Kong movies. They're in The Mist. Like, stop having big spiders and things. Jeez. And it was seemingly going to be another one of those things. I have a big spider in the end. I'm somehow fine in Harry Potter with the basilisk. But damn, that spider is not good for me. In the miniseries, yes, it's old, rubbery, and super fakey. Not my favorite, but not so bad. When we do finally see its final form here, it looks better. That's partly to good CGI. It's also partly that it doesn't look like a big-ass spider. It does take a while to get there, however. They actually combine both it fights into one. First, there's a ritual, and then a big it monster fight. And it's less of a spider and more of the same Pennywise clown, just has more legs and sharp things to get you with. And it's also crazy big. But you never really get the spider aesthetic here, which I am all about. They actually take a little break from the fight and give all our leads, or at least most of them, this these moments of individual fear. And maybe it feels like rehashing, and it feels a little weird at times. But these things are just flying at you. And wow, there's always that oddity of Bill and Beverly question versus Ben and Beverly. This movie has some nice moments of bringing the groupings together for a reason. And of course, the built trauma they have together of both Ben and Beverly ties together and has a really nice moment that I'm a huge fan of. But once everyone gets past fighting through their trauma, Eddie fighting it and his eventual death, it's done so, so much better here. And it ties into Richie and that never explored love that once again iffy on the overall execution of it but i like it for the most part there are a few weird end things that i do want to discuss here for one the thing that saves the day is blowing the crap out of pennywise to make him small and they do another heart rip the heart rip is probably happening no matter what and then they crush up together as a team it was wild and violent in the end the first time no different here you could say they stood up for themselves which is true but they were all bullied so long, you would think that somehow they wouldn't want to do that, and they would refrain from it a bit. It's a weird moral of how what you take away from it. There's a lot of things you could pull, right? I mean, we feel like all the Losers Club's members, you can't think ill of them, really. But having them bully it to death, it's a weird thing. They were bullied by Henry, Pennywise, and so many more in the town of Derry, the terrible town. They finally come out on top, something I feel like we can all appreciate. Some of them were worse for wear. Heck, two of the seven died. But this is a story about growing up, dealing with all the trauma in our lives, and so many more amazing things. This movie, nor any of them in the It franchise, may be perfect, but there is a lot of good to be had and found in these. And they did some amazing stuff with Richie. And the music is awesome. Just like the first version of this retelling throughout. But even at the end credits for sure. And one thing I really like here is in the end, they don't forget each other. Where they, you know, the fog is, even though it's gone, they still won't remember each other at all. But here it feels like such an important part of these movies is their friendships won't die. Especially with that first clubhouse talk from Stanley. And it seems to be the case here. Which is really good. The last part I want to address, it might be a tough conversation to have, but I think we should have it anyway. There's a lot of good here, but some mixed moments. The final letter from Stan right at the end. There's some weird undertones of, and trigger warning, just to put it out there, of suicide with Stan and it having a purpose. It's a dangerous thing to imply, especially as things seem to get more and more messed up and tougher to deal with in the real world, not just based on the COVID pandemic or anything else. Just in general, it seems that life it just gets harder and harder as it goes in just the world of time. I can't tell you what to think of this change. From the movie and the miniseries, all I can say is it makes me feel a bit weird. And they did so much good with Stan in this two-parter, especially young Stanley had some amazing moments and speeches in this movie, specifically. And yet this feels like him making a conscious choice as opposed to losing his battle to trauma and grief it's a weird version and looking at it as a metaphor it feels a bit safer and potentially better i interpret this movie as dealing with trauma in some ways you know it's hard it's painful and scary but for the most part the answer is clear and the outlook is positive stanley eddie were casualties to this battle one stood up to it and overcame his fears 
as one of the most timid of the group, which is an awesome thing. Stanley is the tougher one to explain, and sometimes you can't. I don't have a real full answer to what happened or how any or all of us can feel about this subject matter being discussed in this story. All I can say is in the miniseries we have everyone moving on in epilogue and also a really nice way or metaphor for moving on from trauma and saving someone from it. Or more importantly, helping themselves move on from it as you kind of have to rely on your own self to be happy yourself. Self-love and all that, which is really nice. It's not easy at all and it's tough being seen by another scary movie podcast talk, but it is important and if you can do it phenomenal but if you take that moment of him doing it out of logical nature and not fear which is a tough moment but if we get past that line and hear the rest of his letter and i quite like a lot of the parts of it and having him be the voice right seemingly in the snyder cut they're gonna have cyborg's dad do the read um and the story's supposed to focus more on him which kind of feels like it will be a little better than having reporter lois lane do it I'm ecstatic for the Snyder Cut. But if you look at this moment and these end montage things, it's very happy and appreciated and loved. And there's some really nice moments. I actually really like how they ended this movie. And that one ad just didn't exactly sit with me fully well. But man, there was some emotional depth to these. And it just hits the spot with all the crap of 2020 and 2021. But one thing that might be, not saying this will help out a ton, but you guys are always down for more lists. And even though the order may be implied, let's make it super clear. Here's another Knickknack Movies exclusive listicle coming at ya. At number three, I'm gonna go It Chapter 2. It's not a bad movie. I don't really think any of these are bad movies. I think sometimes the gourd's a little strange. They do phenomenal work with young Stanley in the flashbacks. I like a lot of the adult actors. Bill Hader steals the show, but it's just tough to compare it. And I had a real quandary, more than I thought, thinking of if I thought the 1990 version was the best or the 2017 version. I know one of those is full, one of those is half, but comparing them as three separate entities, and when I saw the 1990, I thought, man, that's the best. It'd be impossible to beat that. But then I saw the 2017 version. So yes, at number two, we'll go 1990. Nothing wrong with it. I think the kids do an awesome job. I think both versions of Pennywise are phenomenal. But the kids growing up, if you take away that one awful rock war line and moment and scene, the kids in this one, it just feels so good. And it like the triumph they have at the end, it just... Everything just hits you in the best way. And the scares are pretty good too, all things considered. But I don't know. All these have moments that are good, bad. And if there's any way you could have combined all three to have some masterclass it version, that would have been awesome. But they all have redeeming parts of them. They all have some parts that aren't amazing. But I think you got to give it 2017 it as the best of the three. And there is the list. And with that, another horror franchise. And another therapy health and wellness session for you, free of charge. Climbing up the Apple Podcasts, TV, movie category, and the health and wellness charts simultaneously. I like this little niche we've carved out for this show. It's a little safe space to just get all the feels and movie nerding out at the same time, out and about. One more moment to discuss it. With the Snyder Cut 4-hour, 2-minute showing almost upon us. There's been no news in ages, but apparently director Andy Muschietti has been interested in doing a six-hour supercut with a ton of deleted scenes, including the wild-talked-about scene of Buckleshoe, non-clown Pennywise, Pilgrim eating a child, and all of the scenes from past and present edited together to take place more chronologically, which is a really interesting prospect. Not sure how the adult scenes would play out without the flashbacks, but I would probably buy that version, hands down. I don't know if I need to own any of these versions, but I might get that if it ever comes out to play. So, fingers crossed that the Snyder Cut will be super successful, lead to the air cut of the Suicide Squad, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get our six-hour version of the It modern-day retelling with all the best parts and some new fun mixed in there. But that's all I have for you. 
If you have a franchise or theme you want me to tackle in a future episode, let me know on social, either knickknackmovies or knickknack underscore IC on either Twitter, Instagram, or for real fun, hit me up with a duet or a video message on uh, TikTok. All I can say now is cheers and until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this see you later.